0: Welcome to the VeloNews Podcast. I'm Spencer Paulison, coming to you from Colorado here with Chris Case and Dane Cash. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing excellent, good? excellent.
0: We are sitting around our horrible, annoying desk we have here in the basement of VeloNews. Has all these legs that get in the way. Someday we'll get a nice card table to more comfortably podcast, but we're going to suffer through it today because that's what cycling is all about, suffering. Mm, At least and- we have
1: this nice foam
0: we got some foam that helps with the sound dampening. I'm sure you guys can notice the audio quality. It's really... Stellar. Exceptional. Yeah, excellent. Exceptional. But we're not here to talk about that garbage. We're here to talk about the tour of Utah. And Dane, you were on the ground in Utah covering the entire race last week, and uh, you look like you got a nice tan out there. I did. I got a lot of sun
2: out there, although I also got some smoke. There was a fair bit of smoke in the mm. Salt Lake City area this uh, this
1: week, which is Wildfires, not other kind of smoke.
2: Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yes, uh, coming from fires on mountainsides and such. And it mm-hmm. did. I think it did affect the racing a little bit, but most of the days were fine and uh, sunny and lovely and Lovely Utah people. It was a great race all around, I got to say. Did you
0: get yourself a cowboy hat?
2: I did not, although I did get myself a cool trucker hat, some swag from the race, which I have worn uh, every day up until today, actually. Wow. So, yeah, how about that?
0: Such a hipster. Yeah, that's <laughs> Such me. Such a hipster. Yeah. So, the Tour of Utah is, um, it's billed as America's toughest race, and you guys have both covered it, Chris, you mm-hmm. and, and Dana both a couple covered of it. Yep. I mean, is that for real? Is it actually America's toughest race? I think well, you- I've
1: never raced it, <laughs> but... I think that it's uh, always proves to be really challenging. They've got those classic stages up to Snowbird and the one in Park City that goes up Empire Pass and Guardsman Pass and those are I've ridden that stuff and it is heavy surfaces and steep climbs and it's it is brutal and it gets hot out there and you're some of those stages you go through a lot of windy areas some um, yeah, I'd say it's up there as one of the toughest races in the U.S.
2: Yeah, it certainly s- seemed like it this year. I mean, that the parkour this year was very tailored to the climbers. There was nominally a, a time trial, but it was the shortest time trial I have ever covered in person. It was mm. all of five kilometers and uh, did not last very long, which is good because it was 105 degrees that day. Ooh. Yeah, not not that pleasant. Nasty. Very much so. Uh, Not a lot of riders coming off the buses to chat with folks like me. Surprising. I don't know why they wouldn't want to come out and chat. But you're
0: so charming. I know, right?
2: Uh, Otherwise, yeah, a lot of really good climber days and uh, a lot of opportunities for... A bunch of different guys to show how good they are at climbing, even though really it was kind of one guy showing how good he was at climbing. Mm. Uh, but uh, we can get a little bit later and get that to later. that. Yeah. So,
0: so it is America's toughest race. I, think so. I mean, I'm kind of a little doubtful because I got dropped in the local office park crowd a few weeks mm. ago. So I'm pretty sure that's going to be the toughest race in America. And those guys are just going to have to come out and prove themselves in that race to really actually, you know, make it clear that it absolutely. is. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. yeah. I feel like you could have definitely mixed it up there on Snowbirds. Oh, so. yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe on the old Stump Jumper.
0: Uh, yes, I could do that. Yes. little shout yeah. out to my Leadville adventure last week. Uh, you check that out on VeloNews.com. I was riding a 1983 Stump Jumper in the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race. It was awesome. Super fun. But um, <laughs> we're not here to talk too much about that because, uh, yeah, Tour Utah was an ex- was a pretty big race. It was, I mean, I don't know if I would say it's entirely exciting, but Dane, I'd love to hear your takes on some of the biggest things that were going on that week. Who are the riders? Who are the, you know, what were the themes throughout the week? Uh, you were there on the ground, give it to us. Let's, let's hear about what, what it was like on the ground in Utah.
2: Well, before you even get to the racing, I feel like the atmosphere was really enjoyable at the race. I mean, there were, there were fans on the road for many of the, the key moments and the, the big finishes, which was really nice to see, uh, out of, out of the tour of Utah. Although the weather was hot, uh, we had pretty clear days than the the smoke, so that was also really good. And I thought the the course design, I mean, I was very impressed. I think it really lent itself to having some exciting stages. So all of that kind of stuff to set up a good race was there. And the racing itself uh, was very entertaining if you were a fan of American riders. Mm -hmm. There were seven stages. Six of them were won by Americans, as was the overall race, mm-hmm. which I think the Tour of Utah has got to be happy about. Because people who are at the roadside of the Tour of Utah, they're going to be rooting for the Americans. I mean, sure, there might be a stray uh, Sergei Tvetkov fan out there. He's basically uh, an American yeah, That's right. He lives point. in Colorado, I think, so he, he basically is, yeah. <laughs> he, and for, has for many years. Right, right. Uh, but you had a lot of fans out there rooting for the American riders, and they were very pleased, I think, to get a lot of stage winners, a lot of, you know, uh, fan favorites just showing themselves every day and we had a lot of pretty popular riders in the breakaways too so it was really good i think for like i said for american fans to see just results all week long for those guys
0: and backing up for a sec when you're talking about the race course design um i assume what you mean is that there was kind of a nice little mountain stage early on in the, in the mountain nebo stage that helped to sort of yeah. spice things up early create a little hierarchy in the gc and then you go back to a few of the sprinter stages before the real decisive days on the final two stages
2: exactly i I tend to get my get pretty bored when i watch a race that has one decisive day really early on or at the end because then you're either stuck with no changes early or nothing until the very end of the race we didn't have that this year which is really nice and then the other thing was the the kneeboat climb while it was not the final climb of that stage it was a really decisive climb and it made for a really exciting finish there on that day which even though it was a downhill into the finish and uh that kind of shows that you don't have to necessarily have a summit finish to have exciting racing. Uh, I know a lot of people, you look at the, the Vuelta profiles, for instance, and you say, oh, well, there's only four or five summit finishes, but a lot of times you can get a lot of exciting racing if you put a climb 20K out, mm-hmm. just depending on the riders themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. And Chris, what do you think? How did this year's route compare to the years in in the past that you've gone and covered the race?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I was there at least once. So I believe Lachlan Morton has won a couple stages in Utah and he won the overall 2016. I was was there the year he attacked at the base of Nebo. He was on Garmin at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Climbed away from everybody and descended into Payson and took the took the win solo. So that stage is reminiscent, um, and then the the last two stages this year are reminiscent. And they've they've started they 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 try to make it a, a true tour of Utah and have it cover a lot of the the state. So you start way down in Saint George and you're near Cedar City and you're and then you um, traverse up. Through the some of the scenic areas, and I think that this year was was pretty similar, but there's always slight variations there that uh, bring some originality to the route. So that was that was interesting.
2: I think they've definitely found something good with the Snowbird and the Park City finishes too. Those days were were pretty. Uh, yeah, decisive. I mean, you can't. Sure, they happen every year, and and and
1: you just There are such amazing days on yeah. the, on the on the bike and the fans going up the little Cottonwood Canyon to Snowbird. They know what to expect, but it's always a great show every year, and something always dramatic happens there.
0: I'm more of a Park City guy than I am a a snowbird guy when it comes to comparing those two stages. I find that the snowbird finish is just that classic Mountain West engineered roadway that's just yeah too, it's too, not too, as intimate and and yeah.
1: rugged as it's, empire pass it's
0: more of a highway and it doesn't provoke the same sort of exciting racing but man we've had some days on empire pass when it's just totally blown up i'm yeah, thinking of yeah. the day when lachlan morton attacked to win the overall that was yeah, just
1: take out tolanski masterful that yeah, yeah
0: that was a very exciting day of racing we didn't quite see that this year but uh dane, we didn't need to that's true we didn't need <laughs> to um, dane tell me some more about uh, about the race well
2: i think Referencing Morton is uh, it's good because this year there were some similarities I think with the years past where just like Morton I mean the the guys you saw in the top five the top ten even this year none of them were massive surprises there were no you know sprinters suddenly in the GC top ten there were no huge surprises. But a couple of the pre-race favorites weren't there. Hmm. Uh, and that, that was a little bit surprising. Some of those guys just didn't have the weeks that people expected of them. I mean, TJ Van Garten went out and won the prologue. And he looked fine the first couple of days, but that, then he lost a bunch of time. That actually stunned me. That he won the prologue, honest, coming, to, off, the to coming or, off the tour. Coming off the tour and a
1: few d- weird days and travel and yeah. to come out. And in a time trial that definitely does not no, suit him no. you know like he's yeah. a good time trialist but not a prologue guy too yeah.
0: too short yeah and yeah. the heat stunner, as well yeah honestly yeah, yeah. 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 Well, good and, for him
2: and that set him and his team up i mean people thought cuz they had all three guys in the top 3 on that stage everybody mm-hmm. was thinking yeah. that BMC was set That's up to dominate yeah and they didn't they didn't dominate and then uh, ef they were trying to ride the race with i mean they had a lot of firepower and they were trying to ride the race to take advantage of that putting five guys on the front on the climbs and doing what a dominant team would do on the climbs and then all of a sudden they were getting attacked and unable to follow so again the, the two big favorite teams coming in bmc ef didn't really deliver and instead you got a huge performance from sepkus yeah hey, Sepp Kuss. there we go yeah. we, were, we were
0: kind of we were dragging we were <laughs> yeah we were, we were leading you on for a while there and then we finally boom right the, in your face
2: the one thing you have to say is i mean i really enjoyed this race i had, I had a great time covering it, and i think it was pretty exciting But Kuss dominated. I mean, it wasn't close at any point. After he showed himself on Mount Nebo, I mean, from there on out, he was clearly the strongest rider in the race. And I think a couple of the journalists in the press room, we were expecting him maybe on stage five and definitely in stage six, play a little more conservatively. He's got the lead. Just take it easy. Roll on into Park City. Sew up the yellow jersey. Nah, he he went on the attack, buried everybody two days in a row at the end of the race, just to really put an exclamation point on the win. And yeah, I mean, he was just dominating, and the kid's only, what, 23 years old, yep. so... I, I think he gained
1: a tr- tremendous number of fans at the Tour of Utah because he wasn't conservative. Right. He could have been, mm. and he still would have won, but I think being aggressive, kind of throwing it out there, smiling half the time oh, he, yeah. was <laughs> he was doing it. just laughing. It like, was like yeah. just completely... In love with dancing up the mountains, and yeah, we'll get maybe we'll get into uh, him a little bit more. But I think he did
2: a a great job of building his fan base for sure. I would agree there. And and you gotta say, I think hats off to his team as well. The team did a pretty good job of putting him in position and sticking with him, and and, you know, chasing the moves when they needed to, but not doing what EF did, which was apparently exert themselves too much. Yeah, which is pretty patient. Yeah, it was a pretty impressive job from a relatively young team. I mean, you also had Neil, Nielsen Palace there, who is just like Kuss, who's a young American, and some other young guys there as well. And I think they did a really nice job of controlling the race and setting up their guy to crush everybody, mm-hmm. despite being so much younger and less experienced than some of these teams like BMC, EF. Trek had some experienced guys there as well.
0: Yeah, yeah and I think it's also important for Sep Kuss to sort of prove himself this way to his team because it's his first year on this world tour team. It's a Dutch team. It's, you know, you're still kind of finding your way as a a pro cyclist when you enter that sphere. And uh, to show yourself as a true winner you know, sure, it's an American race. Sure, it's a, it's not a world tour race, but it still is meaningful. And he did it with quite a bit of, you know, decisive panache, like you mm-hmm. said, Chris. So a lot of, uh, yeah, the, the, it's a lot of good points for him there. And and it's really amazing too for Seth because if you look back, you know, not long ago he was on the Gateway Harley Davidson Elite Amateur Team. Right. I think that was just even at the start of 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And then he's he got come a long way. He got picked up. By, <laughs> he got picked up by rally, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Rally. And then before you know it, he signs a contract with Lotto lot NL jumbo. Uh, one of, a, you know, like you said, one, or two Americans on that team this year. And, uh, and it's, it's a pretty, pretty steep ascent to the world tour there.
2: And now he's going to race a grand tour. Exactly. And, uh, and just a couple of days here, he's going to the well to the team, uh, kind of spilled the beans on the last day. He was trying to kind of avoid talking about, well, about
0: it. Well, they didn't spell it beans, Dane. You got the scoop. Oh, thank you, Spencer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give yourself a little credit for I that. I appreciate one. that. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, he was trying to avoid the question. I mean, a couple of us were sort of asking and he was, well, uh, and then his DS kind of kind of broke broke the news there. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Um we, we were chatting a little bit. Um our our European correspondent Andy Hood was saying uh that's not something that Lotto NL usually does. Takes a guy that young, neo pro to a grand tour. That's a big deal that they're taking him, and this is a team with a pretty nice track record of, of developing talents recently. This is, of course, the same team that developed Primoz Roglic and Dylan Grunovegan in the last two years into right. being GC guys and one of the top sprinters in the sport. So Steven that's a too. Pretty, yeah, pretty strong track record.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I got to wonder, you know, this is a huge result, but... Where, where does that, wh- what do we think about sepkus now? Is he, is he on a trajectory here or is this a one-off? Is he the real deal? That's what I want to know mm-hmm. because I've met him before. I've ridden with him a little bit. Seems like a great guy. I love his attitude. He's a Colorado kid. He came up mountain bike racing, but man, you just, you just look at that type of result and you're like, wow, is this the sign of things to come or is this, I, I just want to know, is he the real deal? And Chris, I feel like you are one of the best people to ask that question of.
1: That's, uh, yeah, uh, I spent a good amount of time uh, riding with him in the past. Uh, Trevor Connor and I are sort of training guru that we have at VeloNews here, and I worked with Sepp on a big article last year sort of about the, the science of climbing. So we did a bunch of time trial tests with him and, and rode with him, and he was putting up pretty staggering numbers, honestly. Uh, we've got this climb here in Boulder called Flagstaff Mountain. It's kind of a testing ground for... For pros, for, for amateurs, for pretty much anyone that lives in this area, and we did a, a time trial up Flagstaff in November. So after his season and before he's really you know running hot for the coming season, and he um, he hadn't even signed with Lotto NL yet, uh, yet or announced it, but anyways, um, he went out there on a November day, a cold November day. And was within 30 seconds, I believe, of the KOM on Strava, which was held by Danielson. Danielson said it right after he came back from the tour of Utah that year where there was a little something suspicious going on with the the old... Hmm. uh, So anyways, Hmm. um, we knew and we now know he's got an incredible engine. Mm -hmm. I will say a couple things about that. He didn't show anything this spring when he was riding for Lotto. His – I shouldn't say anything. He got into the break at Strada Bianchi, and that was a big deal. He ends up finishing the race, and that's a – you know, he was out there for all all day, kind of crappy conditions, and still finishes up. But the rest of his year, I think he's just getting sort of – getting his – typically like a a Neopro would, getting his head kicked in. But he's got this engine, and I know that when he came back from Europe – to train and and gear up for uh, tune up for Utah and and I probably I don't know if he was thinking he was going to do Colorado. I think he knew about the Vuelta, by the way. Yeah, yeah so he just wasn't he, saying it. He probably did. <laughs> Anyways, he comes back here and he's doing these massive rides and he's back on what he's familiar his familiar terrain, familiar training, and he comes out and he stomps it and he dominates Tour of Utah like no one else really has in the past, but. And here's the but. You could see his inexperience at the Tour of Utah. Mm. That aggressive nature we're talking about, that doesn't necessarily pay off for him at the Vuelta. Can be a little foolhardy. Yes. Mm. Um, While it is awesome to watch and in a week-long stage race when you are competing against a uh, non-Grand Tour caliber field and some guys coming off the Tour and all that, he could get away with those tactical mistakes honestly attacking five miles from a summit finish on a huge day with one big day left to go that's not something you would normally do especially if you're in the
0: leader's jersey especially
1: if you're in the leader's Mm, jersey so i think that sep is an incredible talent um he's got a lot to learn i think he would be the first to admit that because he's only been racing on the road for three years really um a lot of mountain bike experience, but that is a very different sport as we've seen. And uh, with other people, it takes them a while to turn that corner and get the road talent and the road skills. So that's sort of my two minute long (laughs) analysis of SEP. And I have my fingers crossed that he goes to the Vuelta and he, you know, he is able to, to at least, you know, complete it. I don't, I don't have high expectations that I'll go out and win a couple stages. I mean, it's, That'd be asking a lot of a kid his age in his mm. first grand tour. How old is he again? He's 23. 23.
0: He's still still very young. He's
1: still very young. Um, and honestly, you know, he's obvious. He's riding a, a peak at Utah. And there's a ways between now and the Vuelta start and the Vuelta finish for sure. So,
0: yeah, we got about uh, 10 days, I think, till it starts. Yeah.
1: So, you know, yeah. for almost a month um, before it's over with. So to hold that form. Physiologically pretty difficult. While so, you're getting attacked by Vincenzo Nibali. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, they've got George Bennett. That team has George Bennett over sure. there probably as their GC leader. And hopefully Sepp is right there in the mountains with him until he pops. Just, you know? learning, Just learning soaking the, it all absolutely. in. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's my hope.
0: Tell me a little more about Sepp's physiology, Chris. What you know, you said his numbers are very, very promising, yeah. very good. Where does it where can you where do those relate to kind of the in the grand scheme of things as a pro cyclist is he Mm. above average as a pro cyclist is he i mean i i presume his greatest advantage is the fact that he's got excellent um, watts per kilo yeah he
1: you know i don't know how he compares to other riders because i'm not privy to a lot of riders numbers and Mm -hmm. power to weight and watts per kilo figures and things like that i do know that he has this incredible capacity to go above threshold mm. and then come back so you could see it in his power profile on a climb like flagstaff not not in a uh, you know not in shape in in terms of a professional cyclist at, at that time of year but he was still able to go well above threshold 20 30% above threshold come back below it and in work with the terrain of the climb to recover sort of clear that lactate and then do it again and then come back and then do it again and come back so he's got an innate ability and and you know he does have a background as a um, Nordic skier so there could be something to that he, he definitely knows how to work with the terrain of a climb hmm. um, instead of really pushing the pace on the steepest parts it's going really hard on the steep parts, but not going overboard. And then when you start to crest the hill, you really use your momentum to, to launch from there. Mm. So he's got, he's got good instincts when it comes to climbing. He's got some physiological um, attributes that help him as a, as a great climber. But I, I don't know how he compares to others, unfortunately. Well,
0: it seems like that type of pacing tactic would really pay off on the variable climbs of Europe because unlike, unlike what I was saying about the snowbird climb, which is a very steady climb, most of the time, if you're racing the Alps, you're racing in the Pyrenees, really any, any of the the terrain, apart from maybe like Switzerland, I'd say it it has much of that variability in the ramps and then the switchbacks that provide a brief moment of respite. So. It'll be interesting to see how he does in the Welta. We'll all be watching that very closely. And um, like I said, I think we're going to temper our expectations. I think, I think we should, yeah. The definitely. question of whether Sepkus is the real deal is probably still undecided. Yeah. I think we're going to need to give him another year or two. But um, it is promising to see what he does at, at the Tour in Utah. And then we're yeah. interested to see what he does at the Welta. Now, speaking of another climber one who's really proven herself already. Um, Katie Hall is uh, headed to Bulls Dolmans. She is uh, currently on United Healthcare through the end of the year, winner of the Amgen Tour California, as well as the Tour of the Gila, as well as Joe Martin Stage Race this year. She pretty much dominated the domestic scene. So it's big news that this top climber is headed to the biggest women's team in the world, basically. And she will be racing here on home our home ground in Colorado mm-hmm. at the Colorado Classic, which starts Thursday running through the weekend. And lucky us, we were able to hear from her ahead of the race. Our our fearless leader, Fred Dreyer, was down at the uh, opening press conference in Denver, and he was able to spend some time with Katie to talk more about her future, talk more about uh, Bulls-Dolmans and what it means. She's... Um, very talented rider, very smart as well. The type of rider who doesn't necessarily have to be a pro cyclist. She could be a professional and go off into the real world and get a job that's actually <laughs> probably going to pay good money, but but she has yeah. passion for cycling and she's very good at it and she's a great climber, like I said. So uh, here is Fred talking to Katie Hall at the start of the Colorado Classic.
3: Okay, this is Fred Dreyer. Uh, you're listening to the Bell News Podcast, and I'm joined right now by Katie Hall. Katie, we're at the press conference yeah. for the Colorado Classics, yeah, so if there's any, like, talking in the background. Yeah. yeah, I thought they were done with that. I know. <laughs> uh, keep quiet, guys. So, Katie, we had some big news come down the other day, and that big news is that you signed on to Bulls-Dolmans for 2019. Mm-hmm. Biggest team in the women's peloton. Yeah. And you know, I want to ask you a lot of questions about this, but first of all, like, how did this come together? How long had you been talking to them? What's yeah. sort of the backstory there?
4: Yeah, um, I've been talking to them for a little bit. Like it just came, he, he got hold of my contact and, and sent me an email around the time of nationals, soon after I'd won California. And I think they're looking for another good climber to be able to support Anna in the hills and the mountains. And so, yeah. to me and I I think I can do that role pretty well and I'm I'm really excited to make that step and also to just be part of this team that has just so so much experience so many good riders like really like a a really long track record of treating riders well and and supporting them and kind of guiding their careers um, trying to trying to help them get the most out of their time in cycling
3: so this came as some news to me because yeah. I spoke to you at California <laughs> and yeah. uh, the question there was about, hey, you know, what are you yeah. going to be doing next year? Do you want to go race in Europe? Do yeah. you want to keep racing in the States? Yeah. And the response I got from you then was like, you know, oh, I, done. I <laughs> might be done. I kind of have a good thing going on in the States. So yeah. how would you describe you? Yeah, when we spoke in California, yeah. what was your attitude towards yeah. racing at that point?
4: Um, I had like, I had just a good year in America this year and I and I won four stage races in a row. And I think after you do that, it's kind of hard to come back and race that same calendar again because it's hard to maybe even just repeat what you've just done and, and you can't do any better. Um, and so for me, I, I wasn't super excited about doing another American year, but when when this opportunity came up, it was it's just so exciting and it's such a new challenge. And a new a new adventure for me and it got me just my head back in the game and I'm really excited about it
3: Well I remember part of it also being um, like you know the question was whether you wanted to go race in Europe full-time and yeah. it was like well I think I actually have a pretty good setup here in the yeah. states yeah. wait what's your setup like in the states
4: uh, just like I think I was just talking about being part of UHC which is like a really just been a really wonderful place for me. Um, Over the years I've been here five years now and I love my home like I love my husband I love my friends there. I love to train in the Santa Cruz mountains and to give all that up to go to Europe was just seemed like too much But we're you know, we're working it out me and my husband trying to get him over there trying to get me back home sometimes Um, And just like yeah the the opportunities with this team specifically is a lot of what sort of changed my mind
3: So looking in the crystal ball, what do you think your setup is going to look like next year? Have you picked a place in Europe? Have you uh, scouted it out? Where where are you going to be?
4: Um, I think I'm going to live in Girona. I've never been there before. Uh, It just seems like a really nice place to be, a nice place to train. I think there's good riding, better weather than a lot of places in Europe, and just a lot of Americans and cyclists and, and a nice place to sort of build a community
3: not a bad place. Yeah. We hear a lot of good feedback about Girona, yeah. so that makes sense. Another question I have for you is, you know, did did this year's uh, Giro Rosa play yeah. into it? I know that, you know, UHC did not get an invite yeah. to the Giro Rosa. We were all bummed about that. We yeah. wanted to see how you would do against um, some of the other top female climbers yeah. on races like the Zonkalon. First of all, what was it like for you to have to sit out that race? Yeah,
4: it was a huge bummer. I guess we kind of had the consolation that we got a La Course invite, which was one like 48 hours after the Giro ended and is a pretty hard combo. And so I was really bummed to miss the Giro Rosa, but got to kind of f- be in France for a week before La Course, really stay focused on La Course, um, go into it less tired than I think some of the girls that raced the Giro were. And so, yeah, I, I really wanted to race that race. And I raced the Giro my first year pro, and it just kicked my ass. And, I, and it's, I've had just a lot of growth and experience since then. And I was really excited to go back and race it again. But, yeah, maybe next year. So
3: So we have some really talented climbers at the top end of the sport right now. We have mm-hmm. Annemiek van Luyten, um, Ashley Mulman paseo some of these, you know, Anna van der Bregen, mm-hmm. Riders who are really climbing quite well. Really well. Where do you see yourself currently stacking up against yeah. the top climbers?
4: I think I have the potential to be there with them. It's going to take... Uh, a lot to kind of figure it out just with positionings racing in Europe maybe getting to know the courses some of them have raced you know some of those races 10 times or more i think i i finished seventh in La Course but i think i had a pretty bad race for myself and that i have potential to be up there in the top but it's not going to be easy all right.
3: My other Bulls-Dolmans question for you is, uh-huh. let's take uh, Time Machine back to 2017, uh, Amgen Tour California. Uh, yeah. There were, like, elbows being thrown yeah. between UHC and uh, Bulls-Dolmans. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't sound like there are any hard feelings there, yeah. but, like, what were your what were your thoughts of the team coming out of yeah. that race? It seemed like they raced pretty aggressively.
4: Yeah, they were pretty aggressive, but it's all part, part of racing, and I I can see that some of their domestiques are so loyal to their riders. And, you know, it sucks to be on the other side of it sometimes, but I, I get it when you're in in a team like that. And so.
3: so what are your long-term goals now with the sport? You know, you have this European contract. You're going to be racing overseas. Are you thinking 2019 now, or are you already thinking beyond?
4: Uh, I'm keeping the doors open. We'll see where, where it goes. I, I'm not good at making really long-term goals i'm gonna see how it goes next year and and see if i like it and make the call from there okay
3: well congrats again on the new team and we'll be keeping an eye on you katie hall
4: in 2019 thank you so much
0: chris this year's tour de france had some exciting moments it also had some kind of funny moments wouldn't
1: you say absolutely one that stands out nibbly calling for the team car Good old buddy Peter Sagan comes up, gives him a big old high five right on the side of the road.
0: Hey, buddy! <laughs> that cracked me up. And you know what else I thought was kind of funny was when they did this fantasy prize on the broadcast for the Feedback Sports Sprint Repair Stand, Phil Liggett made some sort of comment like, well, that looks complicated. And it's like, okay, Phil, like when's the last time you worked on a bike, man? I mean, all due respect to Phil Liggett, but this Feedback Sports Sprint Repair Stand is really simple, really straightforward to use. It's like a mini red anodized transformer, has 360 degree rotating platform, really secure front and rear mounting options. I don't know about you, Chris, but I've had really good luck using this stand to repair my bikes.
1: Absolutely, yes, indeed.
0: So you don't have to be a pro mechanic to use this stand, but it's definitely used by pro mechanics on Trek Sigafredo, Lotto Soudal, and Quick Step Floors. So check out FeedbackSports.com for more. And thanks to Feedback Sports for sponsoring this episode of the VeloNews Podcast. On with the show. All right, guys, we got to wrap this up. We're going to do our usual off the front, off the back to close out the podcast today. And uh, should, should I go first? Or yeah. You want yeah, me to go, go first? Go Absolutely. Okay. All right, good. I am going to start with an off the front and my off the front is uh, karaoke in the peloton. Mm. Because my good friend Kiel Reinen, who raids, races for the Trek Segafredo team, he did uh, perhaps one of the most entertaining stand up interviews for a Tour of Utah we've seen in quite a while where he sang some of the famous song Jukebox Hero and just he did it a cappella which is not an easy thing to do with that track and so kudos to Kiel for keeping the peloton nice and musical. I dig it. And uh he uh He's not the world's best singer, but he tries. He really tries.
1: <laughs> he, did. he put a lot of
0: effort. He into really that. tries. Bless his heart, and his hair really does. It makes it the long hair, the makes feather it. too. Okay, so my off the back is I'm, I'm going to give the off the back to myself Ooh. because Ooh. I started the Leadville trail 100 mountain bike race basically at the very back of a group of a field of of like 1500 people going into this 100 mile mountain bike race i did it on like we said earlier in the podcast 1983 specialized stump jumper and the idea was just to kind of make a point that you know no matter what kind of bike you have no matter whether you feel like your technology is outdated or you don't have the latest and greatest you can still get out and ride and have a good time you don't necessarily have to do Leadville, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't. But still, get out and ride, have fun. It's it doesn't have to be anything more complicated than that. And I'll tell you, I did have a great time at Leadville, even though I started off the back. I uh, I, I worked my way through a good deal of that field, and um, let me tell you, people hike a lot in that race, which is kind of <laughs> crazy. I what mean, did you place? Uh, I I think I don't know, maybe. I think I was around 500th or oh, wow. something like that. So cool. I, passed, I passed a lot of people.
1: Is that the lowest you've ever finished in a race?
0: Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I, okay. uh, I mean, I've definitely DNF. So I mean, okay. that's my <laughs> the last, last place. Sure. But I don't think, uh, I'm not sure if I've ever done a race with that many participants in it. I'm trying to think back to, I mean, you've done Dirty Kansas, Chris. I've got to think that's pushing over 1,500 people. Uh, uh, Just a little under? I
1: can't remember. Mm. I can't remember.
0: All right. Well, off think... the back also is our uh, math skills and yes. <laughs> uh, number recollection for, uh, for, for how big many events. Yeah, yeah. Recall is off the back here in the Velo office, but uh, that's nothing new. All right. Who's going next? There, Off the front, off the back?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Okay. Uh, let's go off the front. Singer-songwriters. Oh, okay. Another musical one. Yeah. Christopher Blavins, who recently I brought up yes. uh, about 20 minutes ago in the podcast, uh, earned his fel- earned himself his first World Cup podium on the mountain bike uh months Anne in, in yeah, Canada
0: in the under 23 in the, in
2: the u23 category good job chris blevins who uh well i guess i should point out he, he likes to rap he writes his own rap that's, yeah that's the like mm-hmm. singer songwriter check connection. it out he's very interesting uh very talented guy i wrote about very it in a the magazine a uh, couple months ago
0: yeah that's in the august magazine check it out
2: yeah definitely uh check out christopher blevins and then off the back ooh, let's go with um french Gorillas. French gorillas. Uh, yeah. Comment d'étonne Gorilla? Anybody ooh. anybody know that one? I don't oh, know. Andre will taking a bit of uh taking a bit of a demotion, I guess you could say, mm. going down from the world tour. just on a banana peel. Ooh, ooh <laughs> Nice man. I like Andre. Come on. Let's <laughs> let's, I do too. let's be nice. nice uh, Andre's going to Fortuneo Samsick after a very long career with Lado mm. Sudall. He was uh Kind of their star rider for quite a long time there, yeah. And uh, it's definitely a step down. Fortuneo, a team that has had trouble getting wins recently, uh, not not really shining very much uh, in the tour or, or even in the smaller World Tour races this year.
0: And a Pro Continental team at that. Uh, that, so that as well. A little yeah. challenging for them to get all the invites they might need to put Greipel in front of the the biggest race races in the world. And that sort right. thing. So I mean, yeah. he's
2: thirty six years old. He's definitely not what he was a year or two ago. At the same time, I mean. He's taken some wins this year. I, I could think of, a, I don't know, several World Tour teams that could probably have used an upgrade in the sprinter category. Mm. So I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's a, probably, so,
0: o- probably overpriced for his... I, that's what yeah, I was just going to say. Be, I would but...
2: imagine that Greipel probably wanted a little more than anybody wanted to give him. And so, you know, we'll see how it goes for him.
0: But let's hope he keeps attacking at the Tour of Flanders early yes. on.
2: I hope they get an invite because Andre uh, Greipel in and the classics... That's
0: the best. It's Something awesome. about Andre Greipel. He always attacks yeah. early yes. at Tour of Flanders. He's yeah, it's just, awesome.
1: It's tradition.
0: Yes, it is. Okay, Chris. Off the front, off the back.
1: Off the front. Bunny hopping barriers. Oh. Yes. And not for men. For women. Okay. Ellen Noble. Bunny hops barriers a year ago for uh, the Behind the Barriers episode that she was doing with Jeremy Powers and their teammates. And lo and behold, she signs for Red Bull. And uh, yeah, connect the dots. She's...
0: (laughs) A lot more, yeah, lot more to might the story. Be a little than, more to it than just bunny up barriers. Absolutely, but
1: yeah, big, big news. Big news um, for her. Such an outspoken, eloquently, eloquently opinionated in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, voice in cycling, and she's got a, a great stance on women's the women's place in in cycling and action sports generally. So to sign for Red Bull, open up that platform her, for her and and allow her to to uh, do what she's been doing for years now through. Social media and Instagram and Twitter and all of that, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal for her. So,
0: And now she'll have a flat-brimmed Red Bull hat glued to her head <laughs> for the rest of her life.
1: For yeah. the rest of her life. Well, that's good money. Absolutely. And off the back, U.S. Customs. Oh. Yeah, we're talking about Team Rwanda gets caught up in a little uh, snafu at Dulles Airport on their way from from uh, Africa to the Colorado Classic and the, several of their riders caught up in Dulles looking for a way to get out to Colorado by tomorrow, or Thursday, I should say. Yeah, by the time you um, listen to By the to time this, you yeah. listen to this, hopefully they've made it into the state. The team has apparently new bikes waiting for them by um, Bespoke Maker Allied Bicycle Works. Beautiful new bikes they want to get their hands on, so they've reached out for a private jet for any means could find to get themselves mm. to this state
0: so mm. well allied is based in arkansas maybe to pull some strings with the walton <laughs> family you there know, you go the old walmart uh, private walmart jet private jet out. yeah, yeah. Well, well see what happens yep well guys that um that was the velo news podcast for this week we've got the colorado classic coming up stay tuned to VeloNews.com for all the coverage from that four-day race and uh thanks for tuning in there.